pelvic organ prolapse. If you are familiar with this term, or if you are living with pelvic organ prolapse, I'm pretty sure that you are aware of the accommodating fear and anxiety and worry and shame that comes alongside a diagnosis such as prolapse. Today, we are speaking to Claire Bourne, a pelvic health physiotherapist, a mum, a businesswoman, as well as an individual with prolapse. She is giving us an unfiltered and informative interview that is just so full of relatable information. We're talking about the symptoms you might be experiencing, about future pregnancies, delivery, cesarean versus vaginal deliveries, and whatever it might look like in between, as well as exercise. She is giving us her lived experience as well as her clinical experience in and around prolapse. Claiborne is a pelvic health physiotherapist with a passion to support women and men throughout their lives. She believes in talking openly about taboo topics and ensuring everyone feels comfortable to get support even for problems that may feel embarrassing to talk about. She worked extensively in the NHS before starting up her own private practice. She is a mum of two and has learned firsthand the importance of care and support during the perinatal period. Claire is the founder of All About Mum, which provides postnatal education cards, webinars, and ebooks to support women with all the information they deserve. Prepare to leave today's interview feeling validated and feeling as though you can advocate for your comprehensive health and well-being in its relation to prolapse. Enjoy. Welcome to today's episode of The Nurture Pod, where we will delve into curious questions in pelvic health. I am Candice Langford, a pelvic health physiotherapist eager to explore the minds, skills, and expertise of pelvic health professionals, and of course, share those conversations and learnings with you. But first, let's talk about bladder leaks. Are you using the correct pads or panty liners? Because periods are not the same as pee. I'm excited to share that Lalette's have a new range of dry lock pads and panty liners specifically designed for incontinence with three times more absorption. Pads and panty liners are not a band-aid solution to leaks. As a pelvic health physio, I believe that the correct products play an important role in giving you the control and the confidence to move through your day whilst working with professionals to improve your symptoms. All right. Hello, Claire, and thank you so much for being here today. Um, I, as I've mentioned, am wanting to ask you a really important question because I feel as though you've got some incredible insights to share with everyone that is listening. And that question is going to be in and around um, prolapse. So I would love to know your personal insight as an individual that has spoken up about having prolapse, but also someone that is a mom as well as a pelvic health physio that is really well respected within the industry. So if you could ever so kindly just share with us, um, you know, just your perspective, your insight, your knowledge that we can all take home and learn and gain from. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I just love these conversations and I think they're so important. 
um, to keep having because I still think prolapse as a topic is still not spoken about very much. Um, and I think our narrative around it is hugely changing, I guess, from even when I trained and was first working in pelvic health just over 10 years ago to where we are at now is a very different conversation. So it's really exciting. And, um, you know, I think hope and promise for women is growing. Um, and I think, but I think there's still much more for us to do around spreading that word. So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, I had so much knowledge about prolapse, you know, like I was working in pelvic health before I fell pregnant, before I had my kids. And and I guess just a bit of background about what prolapse is in case anyone's listening yeah. doesn't. But I mean, we're talking about pelvic organ prolapse. Obviously, we can talk about other prolapses that occur in the body, like disprolapse, I guess, is another one that we hear. But from a pelvic floor, pelvic organ point of view, and again, this is like a fascinating topic at the minute because what we've always said it's like where a pelvic organ drops or falls down and falls down into the vagina canal now there's these theories coming out about is it you know more like about tension and that they're being pulled mm. um and there's a great physio in the uk called anna crow who's doing some fascinating work and kind of research in that area um and so i think you know the work around classification is also being really challenged at the minute. You know, we used to be like, it's one, two, three, four. Now we're starting to have the discussion of is grade one actually within the realms of what we should be encouraging as normal postpartum, mm. um, postpartum, but just within the realms of normal of life, that there are going to be changes. Like we all know we have skin changes, like our face skin changes, we age, our body skin changes, we change. And so therefore our vaginal skin will change and tissues will change. So, you know, it's, it's one of these things where I think we're constantly in this evolving conversation, which I think makes it really hard because you then you don't really know where the goalposts are. But I think for me in all of it, the most important thing, regardless of the theory, regardless of the classification, is the woman in front of us and that we're working with. Yeah. And what she is feeling, what her symptoms are, and what we can do with the pelvic floor, with the pelvic organs, with emotionally her goals her lifestyle what we can do to help her because really aside of all the like you know the I guess the grading and all the structural stuff you know really it's the life in front of us that matters the most so you know I often say to women like try and not think too much about the grade and the like all of those bits and pieces because actually it's that's not going to change how you feel as a person and your life itself is helpful and it can shape certain decisions that we do make but let's try and think about practically how we make your life as easy as possible and I think I knew all this but when I like lived it it was just like trans just transformed I guess my perspective and my experience really you know I was 28 so I was you know young (laughs) and um you know those words you know, you've got a prolapse. I think the things that really as women, we kind of fear the most. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like incontinence has become a much more accepted part of life, motherhood, laugh it off a bit more. And I think it's a funny thing because I think incontinence though, like it's not something I've experienced. So I don't feel like I can fully give an opinion on it in that sense. But I think the way women are like, oh, it's like, I can avoid it. I just don't go on the trampoline or I just don't go for a run. There's ways mm-hmm. of avoiding, I guess, that symptom. When it's a very, very structural change like prolapse, which gives a very ongoing symptom all the time, it is very hard to get away from it. And unless you pretty much do nothing and lie down all day, the chances are you can't really escape your symptoms. So 
they are very different and I think how mm-hmm. we and to deal with them is very different neither should be accepted as normal or you know you just something you got to put up with yeah. but I think it, they are very different experiences and I think yeah I had never really realized how much I would feel like I had aged just through mm-hmm. those simple words and I think that really expressed to me how much we've got to do around the narrative of prolapse in younger women that it isn't just something that you're going to have when you're 60 or 70. It's something that you could be navigating for more of your life than you're not navigating. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, we can't be saying to 20 to 8-year-olds, well, you can't exercise anymore. Don't lift anything. It's like, what option yeah. is that? I've got one child. I want to have another one. <laughs> you know, I I really enjoy exercise. Like, I can't do nothing for my bone health at 28, you know, and I'm going to hit menopause and, and what well, I'm not going to do anything for like 60 years of my life. Like it's just yes. unrealistic and unsustainable and completely unhealthy. And so I think it's really driven this passion in me to be like, let's really understand the why, like, why do we have these narratives? And more importantly, like, how can we make this approachable and applicable to women yeah. so they could live their life? Because, you know, I would literally fear picking up my child. Like that was a real fear. And like now I don't but having that feeling where you feel like you're almost choosing do I do with the child till I lift the child can I not lift the child like as a mother that is so mm-hmm. conflicting against all of your natural desires to look after your child but obviously you're uncomfortable and you care about yourself <laughs> and it's exhausting that's all I can describe it as is this constant like tug against yourself mm-hmm. and these like voices in your head that are like if you do that it's going to make it worse if you do that it's going to make it worse you know and it's been yeah so Mm -hmm. much fear Mm -hmm. and it's funny isn't it because I think when I questioned that fear I think that fear very much came from my training of what I had been told to tell women it wasn't actually true for my situation but you know and I remember speaking to quite an experienced physio who was like you know just keep your pelvic floor strong and and keep your weight down and I was like oh that's really fascinating and look I get the whole conversation around weight but equally, what we do to women is we're like, don't exercise, don't lift anything, don't lift anything heavy, and don't put on weight. Yeah. Like, Sorry. Um, wow. How? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm probably pretty low about myself, and you're telling me not mm-hmm. to. It, it just is like, what? Yeah. And when you break it down, like some of the stuff that is said to women is utterly crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, in one breath we're saying lose weight, and in the other breath we're like, but don't exercise. And it's like, yeah. I can't move you know and these women are like fearful to walk down the street you know so you know I think there is just so much still to be done around this conversation to empower women and I think just help them to understand just like what's really going on it's I say to women I find it really fascinating that like changing breast tissue and breast you know there's breast skin you know droopy boobs completely acceptable droopy tummy completely acceptable concept of vaginal changes what (laughs) yeah no way but I'm like really like it's just another part of change that we do have to come to accept the the symptoms yes we want to deal with the symptoms but the fact that there are structural changes are we really surprised there's a lot of structural changes that happen in our body and actually when I started to piece that together for myself I know there was clear differences but actually when I started to be like my body has been through a lot it has grown and stretched two times there are going to be some changes now, what I do with those changes is what matters. But actually accepting the fact that there has been change was a huge step for me in the right direction. That actually I wasn't constantly wishing back to a time 
that I was never going to get back to. Like I was never going to be 25 again. <laughs> you know, that was not going to happen. So I either could accept where I'm at and try and move forwards or I don't. And I stay where I am looking back. And it, it, yeah. Yeah, I, I love what you have just said now. You've, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking I'm so, I'm so grateful that you are sharing this very personal story um, because you've just added, I mean, even to me, completely changed my perspective. And it, I think it really can only come from someone that's lived it. Um, wow. Okay, so the things that are really standing out to me is that, you know, we, we – our, our skin changes, our boobs changes, you know, and we're okay with that. And it's just, it's flabbergasting. I can't think of another word to to think how crazy we've felt it is in order for there to be vaginal change, changes or pelvic organ changes. Um, and I think that weighs into the whole bounce back mentality that a lot of us have been exposed to. Um, we, we see other changes in our skin, for example, but no, we must use these creams in order to reverse those changes. And you've had a baby, but oh, never mind that. We need to make sure that everything looks as though you haven't. Um, and definitely something that we need to move from. But I really like this relation that you've made between our skin and our other tissues and everything else that we we have in our bodies and to our pelvic floors too. And then the way that you've spoken about how um, we've been told or we're made to feel, and even in our training, and I can agree on that, how um, we've been told how little one must do, um, and that there's these words, and words matter, right? We speak about a prolapse disc, and that is just surrounded by so much fear and anxiety of movement, and now we've used that same word for the pelvic floor, and then we use descriptors of pelvic organs dropping into the vaginal canal, you know, this really scary thing. And I mean, where are they dropping to? Are they going to drop out? Are they going to fall out? And that just exacerbates this, the sense of fear in us um, and further causes us to, like you say, be fearful of picking up your own child Mm. Um, and then questioning your, your, your future. Like you said, I want to have another child, but I'm scared of picking up this child. And as a physio, you were able to, almost adjust that perspective and and slowly see, okay, I've been told this, but this in my lived and personal experience, that doesn't actually make so much sense. I can't just sit and do nothing and lose weight and not pick up my child. Um, But the average person doesn't have that perspective. They don't have the background and the training and the kind of critical thinking and the problem solving that we've been trained to develop. Um, So thank you for sharing that. And um, I really hope that that just mind shift set settles in with so many people so that they can realize, hey, yes, if I go Google, it might say don't do this whole long list of 10 things, but I am a unique individual. Every single prolapse symptom and experience is different and there's so much that can be done. I'm going to stop talking and I'll, um, I'm clearly getting very excited about this very biopsychosocial approach that you're taking. Um, um, yeah, so I'm going to ask you to just carry on on, on um, the kind of trajectory that you were on um, and if you can maybe just share with us some of those symptoms that people might be experiencing because there's lots of different terms and around um, prolapse and although this sounds like it is changing with the colleague that you mentioned um, but if you can share maybe some of the symptoms and then how that really 
comes into our life, you know, what we can do about it, how does it impact exercise, um, work, future pregnancies, etc. And yeah, of course. So I think, you know, like main symptoms that women report are this like heaviness, this dragging. And it's funny because again, I'd heard that description and I was like, I have no concept of what that feels like. And then I felt it and I was like, oh, that's what they mean. And it is, it's quite an intense, like heavy, draggy feeling and so but equally some women don't and this is what's really interesting you know some women will just be bladder and bowel symptoms like not being able to empty fully um of their bladder and bowel some it will be you know um discomfort with intercourse but to reassure a lot of women and there is so much fear i know between you know you feel like my vagina is different i therefore feel different i don't feel as sexy because i know my body has changed but I say the majority of women that I have worked with, going back to sex, they have been absolutely fine. It hasn't been painful. Their partner doesn't know. You know, no one's there thinking like, oh, gosh, she's like broken for life. You know, no one's actually thinking that. So just to reassure them if they listen that, you know, that is something that's a very real fear. And there's nothing for me. It's like I feel the feelings. That's totally valid. You know, like I'm like, we need to talk that out. Don't just think, oh, that's a silly feeling. It's a valid feeling. Feel it. And then we need to talk about it and then try and think about how we move on from there. Because I think sometimes it's just like we just say to people, oh, no, don't be silly. That will be fine. It's like it's not silly. It's a very valid and real emotion that we feel. And ignoring that is not going to get us anywhere. You know, we need to engage with that fear. Um, But, yeah, so I think sometimes sex is an issue. Sometimes women describe this and someone was saying to me just in clinic yesterday, this like, oh, I feel like a bubble in my vagina. Like it's like a bubble that you can't pop. And I just like want to like wiggle to try and see if I can move it. So that's not people don't often talk about that one. But I've heard a number of women say that to me. I mean, you never see that on like any. Well, for us in the UK, like NHS, NHS symptoms, bubble feeling. <laughs> um, but loads of women do report that. Um the sensation that my vagina is just not quite right that there's something there like just so many different things that women describe it as um but i think a really important thing that you were saying there around fear and this is where the whole relationship with the poet floor and prolapse i think is so key is that again like all the focus has been on strengthen the pelvic floor get the pelvic floor as strong as possible and then it's going to do all the support and then hey presto you're going to be as you know fine as possible Whereas actually, again, that just leaves no space for the other end of the spectrum, as we know, as physios, of tension. And actually, I think I'm seeing more and more, and this is not research-based, this is very anecdotal, but also speaking to a number of physios, you know, I think actually when you're, when you're fearful, as you say, that everyone's told you everything's falling out of you, what do you do? You hold on to hold everything up because you are like, I'm not letting go because that means everything's falling out of me. So that leads to more pelvic floor tension or maybe not even tension, but just a a pelvic floor that's not moving through range. It's a a limited pelvic floor. That pelvic floor can't then respond to the lift of the heavy toddler, to the cough, to the run, to the sneeze. And I think through that, we're then actually totally disempowering women because they're so busy holding that they can't do the thing that they need to do to help their symptoms. So I think what I always say to women is like, and I say this is the majority of women, we just need to let go and we need to feel safe that letting go of our pelvic floor is not going to equal worsening of a prolapse or everything falling out of you. And interesting, I said my own personal story is actually I am only symptomatic now when I get pelvic floor tension. So often it's it's almost like once a year now there's something stressful happens or life gets a bit bonkers. And then I'm like, oh, I'm really symptomatic again. And I'm like, what's going on? I can feel my old scar tissue 
I go and see my physio friend. She's like, your pelvic floor's got really tight again, you know, and probably because I'm then symptomatic, I'm then like, oh, let's do all the squeezes. Let's hold, you know, ah, and then not fully letting go, not breathing well. We realize, you know, we resort that, sort the pelvic floor a little bit, do my breathing again. My symptoms go away. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. But this is the other crazy thing is that we think symptoms are worse. Prolapse has progressed. And yet often there's been no further progression of the actual structure of the prolapse. It's actually just the structures around it that have had problems. Again, but again, we're just, I don't think we do this well enough with women. We're too busy just like do your Kegels. We won't give you much advice, but just go squeeze. They don't know how to do it correctly. Probably working into tension. And then we're like, oh, well, it doesn't work for you. The other thing that blows my mind is that we're like, you've got a prolapse. Okay, maybe you do want to run. And then women are like, well, you've told me I can't do anything. Well, screw you. I'm just going to do it anyway. We then don't do the functional rehab. So we go from like, do a few Kegels and sitting. Okay, fine. Didn't work. We'll just run anyway. I'm like, what other injury in the planet do we say, do a couple of exercises lying down. Cool. Run 10K. <laughs> What? I know, I know. It's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. You're just literally like, how has this become any way accepted practice? And when I say it to women, I'm like, if you had a knee op or you had tore your quad, would you literally do a couple of bridges on the floor and then run 10K? And they're like, well, no, obviously I wouldn't. And I'm like, exactly. So why when we tear our pelvic floor through childbirth, we don't rehabilitate it in standing we don't load it graded we don't introduce impact gradually you know after acl replacement okay fine slightly different but you know there's all these protocols i remember as a physio it was like you need to do this you need to do this you need to get them standing you need to do multi-directional hopping and you need and then you might do a graded run pelvic floor yeah do a few crack on bonkers it's just so mad so i love this word bonkers (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I love very British oh bonkers um yeah I just it really blows my mind but I think the more we get that message out there that there is so much from doing some kegels to running or jumping or lifting you know I'm five years I'm five and a half years postpartum after my first when I was diagnosed I have now got into lifting weights amazing yes amazing yes and I'm loving it now There's many reasons I didn't get back to it sooner. Structurally, I probably could have done. However, I didn't because I was tired. I had a toddler. I was busy. I hadn't done the rehab I felt like I needed to. I just wanted to do another pregnancy and just, you know, get through all of that. And now I'm ready. Like, now I'm ready. And that's great. And I think the main message to women is it just because you haven't done it six months postpartum, just because you haven't done it a year postpartum, doesn't mean it can't or it won't happen it's just give yourself time you're just you're never you're never too late to give it a go you know and I want to get back to running and I there's been just constant things as to why I haven't I know I know physically I could but again this is the thing as a mother there are so many factors there are so many factors that contribute into your life it's not just about okay I'm physically ready oh good let's go there's tiredness there is ill children there is constant having to learn how to parent in a new phase of life like oh I've now got to learn how to parent parent two children oh now I need to do it in a pandemic oh now I've got to do the school run okay now I need two one in nursery here and one in school there okay now I've gone back to work now I've got to do work and this one there's always something you know and it's just giving yourself grace I guess to have 
yeah, time to do it. So I've probably just gone on loads of tangents there. but no, I, I think you've done an amazing job of, of depicting that we are real people and we have got lives and we are not robots and we, uh, you know, we we need a personalized approach. And if anything, everything that you've said right now has just highlighted the importance of anyone with prolapse or thinking that they might have prolapse or having funny symptoms such as bubbles in, in your vagina, you know, go and seek help because there isn't just this kind of stock standard go and do X amount of Kegels a day that's going to help you. It's what are your personalized goals? Where are you right now? Are you planning on trying to conceive? Do we need yes. to work towards you feeling comfortable and confident with that first as opposed to just being like, okay, well, I want to feel like I'm 25 again. I would like to run a marathon and I also would like to have a baby next year. And I also think I've got two, grade two prolapse and someone said this hot, this horrendous word of things dropping out of, you know. Uh, and the, we are multifactorial and what you've just said has just highlighted that there's so many little things that weigh into your experience and your comprehensive rehabilitation that we can and um, that we need to bring in. So I don't I don't feel like that that was a tangent at all. I feel like that's a really real life story that a lot of people are going to be living and um, listening to and thinking, oh my word, I feel so validated. Oh my gosh, I'm not broken. Oh my word, I was also scared of lifting up my child. But whoa, Claire said she's she's not really right now to run, but she can run and her body's capable of it. And she's had prolapse and then another pregnancy and then another delivery, you know, um, whether it's C uh, um, uh, cesarean or vaginal, it doesn't, doesn't matter. We can do both. Um, but yes. yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling very supported right now by, by um, your, your shared experience. Um, I would like to know from you, Claire, um, the, the things that tend to pump up a little bit, and you're welcome to just kind of go as brief as you want on these, um, is, like I've said, pregnancy and delivery. Mm. Can you just share, you know, because I know a lot of people might be feeling like, oh, okay, I cannot have another baby, or I'm so scared of a vaginal delivery. Um, I know that it's possible. So can you can you share what yeah. um, what this experience might be and, and yeah. yeah. So I always say to people, it's like, listen, if you don't want to have more children, that's cool. But please don't let this define because we should be able to support you enough to make this a possibility if you want to in an ideal world, explore, you know, expanding your family. And I think the main things I would say is there is not a foregone conclusion that pregnancy is going to make your prolapse worse, A, and that you are going to feel worse, B. Sometimes women feel better because you get all this amazing estrogen again, you get all this amazing plumpiness in the vagina and actually you feel better. And I was shocked. I was like, I was almost waiting for that day when I felt worse and it just never came. I just felt good. So I was like, oh, okay. And look, I did the work. I did the rehab. I kept going with my pelvic floor. I kept active. So, you know, but I, I was really surprised. And then I think the other big fear, I mean, in some ways, what I say to women is sometimes you've just got to get pregnant and then deal with everything afterwards. Like I knew I wanted more children. I remember saying to my husband, I've just got to not think about it. Let's just get pregnant. And then I'll just have to see how my body responds and we'll make decisions about birth when that comes. Because I'm someone who would love to plan it all and know every single step, but I couldn't because I just didn't know how I was going to feel. And obviously I was open. I was like, if I feel terribly worse, I'm open to the cesarean. But if I don't, then I'm open to, um, you know, a vaginal delivery as well. So I'd had a vaginal delivery first time. And, you know, in an ideal world, I didn't want to have surgery. I, I didn't, 
the for me the idea of an epidural freaks me out the idea of surgery kind of freaks me out which it's weird because like I'm so medical and and I love medicine and I think it's magical but like it's just for me personally I, I'm just not great with that so I was like you know I've done the vaginal birth I'd quite like to do that so I think the hardest decision the most important thing when you're trying to decide and I truly don't think it's black and white and I truly don't think you should in any way feel pushed into one decision or the other I don't honestly feel that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong decision in it as well I think you could probably I always say you can argue both and you could probably do both and also be happy I think the most important thing is that women feel heard they feel known um, and they feel again validated in what they're feeling at that time so for me my decision was okay, I'm feeling pretty good. Ideal scenario, I would like a vagina delivery. I did think about my other delivery and how I felt certain things had potentially contributed to my experience. I had a longer second stage and all the things I, and I got my hospital notes and I went through it because I wanted to understand. I was like, I want to understand what went on so I can then make decisions about this delivery. And long story short, I went, decided I'd like to go for a home birth because actually I had a relatively quick labor and I found the transition into hospital quite impacted how my labor progressed. So in the end, I was like, and it was actually my husband who is medical as well, who I thought was bonkers when he suggested a home birth, because I was like, you're a doctor, you shouldn't be saying let's have a baby at home, let's get all the help. But he was like, no, he's like, I saw you labor, we were great here, everything was going to plan. He's like, I think you would have had the baby here if we hadn't tried to transition in. So we got the right support, we got midwives here, and actually I had a very, very uncomplicated, super quick vagina delivery in our kitchen, um, in a pool. And it was amazing. And it was the most intense hour of my life. <laughs> but, you know, he arrived and nothing progressed. And, you know, it was, I felt a bit more symptomatic for a bit. Yes. And I was anticipating that, you know, my pelvic floor still had a big stretch. I still had a slight scar that and wound I had to deal with. And so that's always going to impact things. But again, I was so much more empowered. I had the lived knowledge that even if I feel worse now, I can get better. And that experience is so different once you've lived it first time. So, but what I say to him is, remember, there are, there's so many options for birth. You know, we, we break it down to like vaginal delivery or cesarean, but the spectrum of that is huge. And I know around the world, obviously, things work differently. But, you know, within the UK, I'm like, there are ways of having these conversations of like, you know, last time I was induced, these things progressed, da, 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 da. I don't want to do that again. Okay, so maybe we make the conversation of like, if I get to 41, 42 weeks and we're discussing induction, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go for cesarean. Great, let's support you in that decision. Okay, the labor starts naturally, everything's going well. Okay, it's labor stalling. Let's make the earlier call to have cesarean rather than waiting, 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 like we did last time, which may have also, for various reasons, contributed to why you had the experience you had. Or you just say, you know, mentally, I can't cope. The anxiety, the fear, you know, the, having a prolapse and those symptoms really impacted my mental health and how I bonded with my baby. For me, I can't take that risk again. I would rather have a controlled, safe cesarean environment. Great. You know, the decision behind it is so multifactorial. It is just like prolapse better or prolapse not better. You know, I say to women, yeah, look, we can discuss grades. Will it get a bit worse? Will it not? But again, we're just looking at the vagina and we're not looking at the woman. There are so many factors. And actually I, I felt for me, Having a vagina delivery, being at home was the best thing, meant I felt like I didn't have a longer recovery. But don't get me wrong, like I went over to like 41 weeks and I cried my eyes out every day being like, am I making the right decision? You know, and I remember my midwives coming. It was around Christmas time as well. I remember my husband, I was like crying and crying. My husband was going out with my daughter and the midwife rocked up. My husband was like, yeah, good luck. 
<laughs> she needs to and she just opened the door and I just cried and cried for like half an hour or something but you know all those emotions need to come out and the fears are valid and you know I questioned the question was I making the right decision and sometimes you know what you just don't know but the most important thing I say to women is it needs to be your decision because ultimately afterwards if things do get a bit worse, you need to know that you made the right decision for you with all the information you had, that no one forced you into this decision. Because, you know, you could, you're probably not going to regret your decision if you truly felt it was you that made it and it was right for you and your baby and your family at that time. So that's the most important thing, I think, in all of it, making those decisions. They're hard and we need to have lots of conversation. I do a lot of online consults with women about this, just kind of like going through. And I had a lovely story yesterday from a lady who's not in the UK, actually. And she sent me a picture of her baby being like, you know, thank you for supporting me. In the end, I managed to get my cesarean. It was absolutely the right decision. I'm starting this postnatal period feeling amazing. The birth was so positive. I'm feeling generally really good. And I was like, amazing, amazing. You know, that's what it's all about and yeah she might have had a vagina delivery and been fine but that was not right for her decision in that time that's what we've got to do hear the woman yeah I love that um um yeah I'm just going to kind of summarize summarize what you've said so far you know you can have prolapse and you can exercise you can have prolapse and you can have sex you can have prolapse and you can go through another pregnancy you can choose to either have cesarean you can have a very happy and comfortable and in your home vaginal delivery you know and going against how we started this this episode where we highlighted all of the things that we're made to feel that we cannot do you've just gone with a very lived experience absolute i call bs right (laughs) And thankfully, research is changing and it's supporting this. And we are, we're looking more biopsychosocially. We're looking at the whole person. Um, And it's really, I was smiling ear to ear when I just heard you speaking about how you, um, you delivered vaginally in your kitchen. Husbands are in the medical field as well. And he's like, you can do it. Um, We just need that support. And we need to feel as though we're making those decisions based on as much information as we can possibly get. Um, And I think that brings me to my next point and asking you to just kind of um, weigh in on the the physio side of things now. So so kind of really... um, helping people to to realize you know okay i think i think this is me i think i'm experiencing these things or i was once told that i've got prolapse what what is the next what can people do will they need to work in person can they just go and buy a device um can they um will they need to use um pessaries etc or can they just do like whatever at home tell us Tell us what it's what that's like and then we can close off for the day about the physio side of things. Yeah. Look, ideal scenario would be see a physio, one-to-one care, find out about your prolapse, find out about your pelvic floor, look at your breathing, look at your abdominal wall, look at how you stand, look at how you move. Like have an examination whilst doing a deadlift with a kettlebell. Like that for me, I was doing that this morning and it's just so empowering for women. I'm like, your prolapse is not going anywhere. Your pelvic floor is doing the right thing and you are deadlifting 10 kg. Amazing. Let's start there. That's an amazing thing. That ultimately for me would be gold standard. Unfortunately, across the world, that is not always an option. You know, online consults, I think can be incredibly powerful. And I've 
it's a whole new concept I think the pandemic forced us to do but I'm actually seeing amazing results by mm. just working virtually with people and I sometimes agree. you know we make the call of like it would be really good to examine you now or have someone examine you who's more local but it is an option you know I think we can get an awful lot from amazing trainers as well who are doing a lot in the field like postnatal courses that are trying to challenge this narrative and again I think bridge the gap between physiotherapy and other you know trainers you know maybe regular trainers like you know average your, your average pt and you've got these trainers that are trying to bridge the gap that kind of take you from being postnatal doing your rehab getting you doing more before you're ready to go to your crossfit class that's yeah. all bridging the gap i think that's yeah. a really powerful thing another I option i don't think you've got them in, in the uk but so in south africa we've got biokineticists who really do an amazing job of bridging that gap so they exercise scientists right so they've got that much more information and they they train to work with special interest groups or special need individuals whether that's pregnancy postpartum post-surgical um kind of taking that rehab load off of the physio and having more expertise on it and carrying through and then they can kind of refer out and be like okay go and join the gym now go and join that class you are prepared yeah, so in, in South Africa, we got um, biokineticists. But now that I'm in the Cayman Islands and I've been working with more kind of US-based mm-hmm. protocols, I think you can say, um, they've got kin- kinesiologists, I Kinesiologists, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that there's that kinesiotherapy and there's kinesiologists, so I'm just, I must make sure about that. But they also pretty much, it's it's exercise science. Um, so so if you are listening from, from anywhere else in the world and, and you're looking for that person to help you to transition – then um, look for those those uh, qualifications. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so good. And I, do, I actually, now you say that I have met a few people here, but I, I think in the UK, we're still so stuck in, stuck in our very like NHS, you know, it's very like, and rightly so, you know, we've got nice guidelines, we've got things and legislation and, and it's very important. But I think sometimes then we do, I guess, neglect some of the other options that we don't always have research about everything that can help. You know, there's the whole conversation around hyperpressive, which we don't have time to have today. And I'm not an expert, but I'm interested. You know, I'm like, at the end of the day, if there's an option that it could help a woman, then we should be considering it. Whether whether it's, I don't know, exactly got gold standard research or not, I think we just have to sometimes consider it again for the women in front of us. Yeah. From a pessary point of view, and again, I think pessaries are such a fascinating thing. I think they're becoming much more widespread understood that they're not just something that you have when you're 60, 70 and that's it, you know, when there's no other option for you. It's like, mm-hmm. how can we use a pessary to actually support your postnatal recovery? How can we use it maybe in the short term? How could we use mm-hmm. it to make it free so you can dance the night away at your mate's wedding and live your best life you know there are so many options for pessaries and i think again just having an open mind to that um right thing like physiotherapy should be multifactorial and i would say to women that like i did some physio it didn't help and i'm like did they get you off the bed did we do everything we should be doing because i'm like i'm more than happy to send you to a consultant for you to have that opinion if i truly believe we have done everything else first but if we haven't then I'm not happy to do that because we're missing part of the picture. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it is, that's a tough one, right? Because um, unfortunately, not all pelvic physios have that same 
exposure, experience, guidance, um, and getting off of the bed and doing examinations and standing and squatting and with weights and being very patient oriented with regards to what are their personalized goals. Not, not everyone is doing that and it makes it, it is really hard, but like we said in the beginning, we in this transition phase where the, the diagnosis of prolapse isn't even very clear. So how can we expect this perfect knowledge translation to professionals, but more so even to, to, to patients. So unfortunately um, it's not, not everyone is getting exams and standing. Um, and I do believe that it will, um, I, that it will change um, and exercises as well, kind of exercise and also kind of defining exercise, not as just on, 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 but defining exercise as, your range of motion, your full relax, that's part of exercise, your stretch and mobility, that that um, letting go side of things, that's part of exercise. So it's if you haven't had that experience of testing on and off the table and in different positions, etc., et and you're feeling as though you haven't made progress, then reach out, reach out to people like Claire, have an online consult with her, get that support, just ask those questions and um, you might find some clarity. A virtual consult really in, in pelvic health are are so valuable and I think it highlights the importance of how much uh, what we do is education-based. It kind of forces practitioners, practitioners to lead, lead with that education-based and empowering the, the patient themselves to to make those changes because at the end of the day, uh, hands-on stuff only does so much. It's what that patient does in their day and their 99.9% of the day. When you're with me, it's 2%, 0.2% of the time, right? That was very bad maths, but I acknowledge that. Um, not when. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's enforcing that patient-centered and patient empowerment and patient education component of it um which which we absolutely do when we do virtual consults um so yeah thank you so much claire i i feel as though there's going to be a lot of validation gained from this from this episode people really feeling as though they they feel comfortable in talking about their symptoms talking about their experiences advocating for themselves with regards to hey that wasn't done for me let me let me dig deeper let me try let me speak to x y and z and and see what we can do about getting to my personalized goals um i feel as though people are really going to feel that level of support um from from chatting to you today and listening to you speak about your your personal experience as well as your professional um insight so thank you so much is there anything that you kind of want to highlight as like a take-home point for for people to to just remember or you know, go tell a friend <laughs> or whatever it is that you want to, just any parent that's living with prolapse um, and navigating their day-to-day. Yeah. I think, you know, do you trust your instincts on things like this? Because I get a number of women who come to me and they're like, oh, um, I, I really knew something wasn't right, but someone just told me, oh, that's just normal or whatever. You just have to live with that. Like, don't accept that. Um, know that you're stronger than you are. Know your pelvic floor is doing probably better than you give it credit. You know, um, I always say to women, look, you're not literally walking around leaking all the time. You're able to stand up. You know, your pelvic floor is doing well. You know, yes, it can't quite do the higher level stuff that maybe we need it to right now, but don't, don't unrecognize what it's already doing. Like, you know, so I just recognize what your body's doing. 
know that this is a lot to navigate whilst you're also changing as a human to learn how to be a mother to learn how to that change that perspective and it's a lot and finding it hard is also totally fine don't ignore the emotions like like sit with them engage with them and then we can move forward i honestly think unless we engage and sit with those emotions we just can't move forward physically mentally and emotionally um and we've got to learn to support women to do that a bit more so we can then i think move that forwards beautiful beautiful thank you so much and i just want to throw in at the end there like um if if an individual does end up going for a surgical intervention um it's still incredibly valuable to work with someone um such as such as Claire, a public health physiotherapist because like we've mentioned there's so many other factors that weigh into your experience the feeling support the education the guidance with exercise so don't feel as though because in all honesty in all honesty, with absolutely everything, there is no one quick fix. Um, and we have to put that work in. We don't arrive at the front line of a marathon and just expect to run and win. We put the work and we put the effort and we put the training and we put the nutrition, everything in and um, seek the guidance because there's no quick fixes. And um, there's a lot that can be done on very many facets of our, of our very complex and exciting and adventurous lives that we live. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Claire. Um, all right, so before I steal more of your incredibly valuable time and um, steal more, more of your pearls of wisdom, which I'm really, really grateful for you sharing, I would like you to tell us um, a little bit about your All About Mum. So you, you've got, you're a really busy woman and you've also got um, other products that, that can really help individuals. Um, and tell us where we can find them, what they are, and um, we can just guide people to, to that. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. So I started all about mum, which is, I mean, it's a variety of things. But just as a brand, I wanted it to be very much acknowledging that often women say, oh, it's all about my baby postpartum. What about me? And I'm like, this is all about you. So it's, it's like at the minute, it's a pregnancy webinar to help you understand your pelvic health and pregnancy and what you should be doing to help prepare and think about birth. It's education cards, postpartum, Um, which basically take you from like the nitty gritty of your first wee, your first poo, to your recovery, to exercise, flashcards. So you don't have to read an entire book. You just literally pick it up. You can put them in your hospital bag. You're like, in the moment you need it, you're like breastfeeding. Okay, cool. That's what I've got to do. I'm going to do it. Um, There's also the option of a postnatal ebook, um, which has similar information, but I just wanted to make it a bit more cheaper and accessible. So it's slightly more concise. I'm in the process of developing a bit of a cesarean ebook. So women who have lots more questions about cesarean, um, and I will be developing other webinars as the year goes but yeah that's really what it's about it's just about a hub of education for women uh, pretty much to do what we're saying to get the right information out in the time that they need it and not five years later when they're like why did no one tell me that five years ago yes yes (laughs) Uh, amazing what a lovely gift to purchase for someone yes for their baby shower you like this is a baby shower gift for the month Yes, Sorry, exactly. baby. <laughs> like, you got well, enough presents. This one's for mum. Throw off on your cute picture, you know, on your cute baby grows. Here's something to save your mum's vagina. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Claire. That sounds like an incredible resource. And like you said, it's at, you, you use the, the, the phrase at the minute, uh, which I think is also very British. I love it. Um, so it sounds like it's something that's going to grow and expand. Um, so that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure um, that everyone that's um, got to meet you today will also be looking forward to um, learning from you further. So thank you so much. I'll be putting all of your links and everything in the bio, I mean, in the 
the the page information uh, so that they can be led for further to you to keep on learning. So thank you Amazing. so much for sharing oh, today. Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat. <laughs> well, Nurturepod listeners, until next time, please review and subscribe. And as always, stay curious. As a special treat for listening to today's episode, you can head over to the nurturepolvichealth.com website and use the code NurturePod for 20% discount on all pelvic and sexual health courses. This episode is brought to you by the Lillette's Dry Lock Incontinence range of pads and panty liners specifically designed for bladder leaks because you deserve to maintain a healthy, happy, active lifestyle in the presence of leaks. This is why when working with patients with incontinence, I encourage them to use the correct type of pads as they work towards their treatment goals.